All hail King Jesus. What an exclamation and what a reminder again today for us as a church community that that is our mantra. That's who we are. We say all glory to King Jesus. Elena, thank you for leading us. Um, so focused around Jesus this morning. And today we're going to continue in our planted series and we're going to be studying a psalm about Jesus. I'm so excited to share that with you today. Last week we started this brand new series and for the next weeks we will be in the book of Psalms and we're going to be going through some of the Psalms. And last week we started in the foundation Psalm, Psalm 1, and today we're going to continue into Psalm 2, which in so many ways still continues to lay a foundation for the rest of the book. Now, I want to help us a little bit this morning in reading the Bible and especially before we read the psalm in how to approach it and understand it well. The most important thing that I want to say as I start this morning is that we've got to re be reminded that the Bible is one unified story leading to Jesus. So when we read the Bible, we've got to see this one story leading to Jesus, culminating in Jesus, and then Jesus leading us on from there until the day that He returns. The best way maybe to describe it to you today is by making use of a magnifying glass. Don't know if I'm being magnified in any way there. Um, kids, I don't know if you guys can see my nose and my eyes and my teeth a little bit bigger. <laughs> but a magnifying glass is basically made out of two elements. There's a framework that makes this thing something we can use because you don't want to be touching the lens and making it all dirty. Um, and then within this framework, we've got the lens set beautifully strong inside of it. And that's a little bit how we ought to read the Bible. We should see the framework as the story of Israel, the story of God's people leading all the way to the lens. And then Jesus as the lens through which we read the Bible. And when we do that, the Bible becomes beautifully magnified in a unique way. One of the best ways we can do it is whenever we read a scripture to say, where do I see Jesus in this? Every page of the Bible points to Jesus in some way if we would just go look for it. So this morning, I want us to apply the magnifying glass in reading Psalm 2 as we open it up and already say, hey, Lord, show me where I can see Jesus in these verses. And then just one more thing to help you in your Bible reading going forward. Every time that you see the word Lord spelled in capital or typed in capital letters, it refers to the covenant name of Yahweh. So you can exchange the word Lord in capitals at any point for the name Yahweh. Just to let you know that when it refers to that, it doesn't just speak of a Lord or, or general Lord or God. It speaks of God's covenant name with His people. So without further ado, let's read Psalm 2 together. I hope you've got your Bibles. It'll also be up on the screen. And let's see Jesus in the Scriptures and let Him be magnified in our midst. I'm going to read from the ESV translation. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart 
and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fear. He's saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord Yahweh said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord Yahweh with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want you to be magnified in our midst today. Thank you that the story of the Bible is such a beautiful, unified work that leads us to you. And as we look at this Psalm of David and he's, him speaking about the throne of the King of Israel, Lord, let us see it leading and pointing to you today, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to every heart and that we would know how to take these words of Psalm 2 and, and put them into practice in our own lives. And I pray that you would lead my words as I lead your people in the preaching of the word today. Amen. What an amazing psalm. So many things, so much richness. Even just in preparing it this week, I had a real, real time in figuring out what God has on his heart for us as a people from it. But as I said before, we've got to read it with the right lenses and the right structure in place. A couple of weeks ago, I started watching a new series on TV. I find it hard to find some, something to watch. So when I do find something, I really commit and I'm enjoying it. And this was a, a short six-week series. And halfway in, uh, Helena decided to join me in watching the series. And it was quite, let me use a light word. I wanted to say frustrating. <laughs> but quite an interesting dynamic because I'm watching the story and she constantly wants to know, what is this all about? You see, she missed the plot because the framework and the structure and the lens of the series has already been established. And for her to come in on the side, she didn't quite see it. And sometimes we read the Bible like that in separate ways and we just take one verse and we don't know how it fits within the bigger scheme of things. It's a little bit like baking pancakes and throwing the eggs in a pan and then some flour and then some salt and and then the pan's hot and it's all warm and we're trying to mix a pancake together. And in the end, we sit with something that we just don't enjoy eating. But the Bible is something that we've got to see through the right lenses. And to help us with Psalm 2 today, I'm quickly going to th speak about three things. I'm going to look at the setting, the symbolism and the structure of this psalm. First of all, the setting is important. The, the pointing to, the, the framework within how the psalm is given to us, speaks about King David's throne. Our setting is King David's throne, and he's writing about himself in the psalm. 
but he's writing to say, you know what, God, Yahweh has made some covenant promises to me, the king in his throne. And he was referring back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, where through the prophet Nathan, God was speaking to David about his kingship and a new line of kings that will come from his rule, pointing to Jesus. From his offspring will come another son, and this son will build the house of God. Now, we see some of that fulfilled in his immediate son, Solomon, building a house for the Lord. But again, that was pointing to Jesus. In Genesis 49, God says, From the tribe of Judah will come a seed, will come one who will set my people free. And then we see how this then lines up with David's story. And even in Isaiah 11, where it speaks about David's dad, Jesse, it speaks from the root of Jesse, from this lineage will come one, the Messiah. One of the names of Jesus in the New Testament is son of David. And all of a sudden, this makes sense. The framework is set and God is setting up David's throne. And from that image of David's throne, it shows us to the Messiah that will come. So David uses Psalm 2 to set this all up. But he's not only speaking about his own setting. He's using the symbolism of Christ to come. So King David's throne is used as symbolism for King Jesus' throne. Now I must say, looking at Psalm 2, that there's quite a lot of colorful writings and bold writings about David. But the moment we start seeing it about Jesus, <laughs> we understand why it is so beautifully and colorfully shared with us. You see, in light of Jesus and not in light of David, these descriptions make a whole lot of sense. Suddenly, the lens click in when we, we start seeing Jesus in the psalm. And I love this story in, in Acts chapter 4 where the disciples realized it. I'm actually going to read that for us out of my Bible. Where the disciples realized that this psalm, Psalm 2, has now come into fruition. Let's read together. And when they heard it, they lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth in the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and here they quote Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then they realized this is happening. For truly in the city they were gathered together against your Lord Jesus Christ, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. All of a sudden, the lens becomes true. They realize that, wait a minute, this psalm we know, and it was speaking about Jesus all this time, because the world and the leaders and the rulers are all against him. And then further on in the book of Acts, Paul preaches in, in Acts chapter 13, and he says this, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And then Paul says this, as it is written in the second psalm. So the lens comes into play. The setting is King David's throne, but it symbolizes Jesus' throne. 
And the moment the people of God saw that, man, what a moment. And today for us again, there's so much in it for us. And then the last thing I want to say is the structure of the psalm is quite important as well. We've got the framework, we've got the lens, but then how this thing is put together is very insightful in itself. So let's look a little bit deeper at the structure of the psalm, which is a fourfold picture. We've got four sets of three verses, and each one of them has got a very clear theme. Verse 1 to 3 speaks about the nations and their raging. Verses 4 to 6 speaks about the Lord in heaven and that He is unmoved. So we've got the nations, we've got the Lord in heaven, and then it speaks about the Son over whom Yahweh the Lord proclaims and decrees prophetic words. And then the invitation that the Son brings from the nations to the Lord in heaven is an invitation into grace. There's a pastor called Tabiti Anwabili who said this of the four movements or the fourfold picture of Psalm 2. He says it's like a quartet. Four people singing together and the altos sing about the kings of the earth who raise their voices in re rebellion. Then we've got the bass singing about the king, king in heaven who laughs at their efforts. We've got the tenors singing about the king of the nation, nations announces the, the, his sonship and his rule. And then it concludes with the soprano saying the psalmist call all of us to sing together and worship the sun. So our setting, our symbolism, and our structure is in place. And now we are ready to see what that means to us. Now that it's beautifully magnified and we understand the psalm a little bit better, there's more depths in it for us to understand. And to help us, I want to actually read it to us again, and this time from another translation. And I want you to apply the, the setting, the structure, and the symbolism and just listen to the words of the psalm again. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version that says it like this. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their courts from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now, therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, that he not become angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Now the psalm makes a little bit more sense, right? So let's see what we can learn from this. 
Last week in Psalm 1, I spoke about two portraits and two ways. And today I want to speak about two realities that we find in the words of the psalm. The first is the reality of Jesus or, or, or God and the world and the nations. And the second is the reality of Jesus and you, Jesus and me. The first is a situational reality of God and the world and Jesus and the world. And the second is an invitational reality where we are invited into relationship with him. So let's first of all look at Jesus and the world. It starts with a question. Why do the nations rage? <laughs> I don't know if you sometimes felt like that, just switching on the news and looking at the mess that the world is in. And I often ask the question, why? To what end? What's the purpose in it? Isn't it just always leading to more hardship and pain and brokenness and hatred? Why is the world in the state that it is in? This is how the psalmist opens up his psalm. He says all the plans that the people are making are clearly in vain. It's not going to lead them to anything worthwhile. It will come to nothing. And you read those first two questions and you wonder, well, how can he be so sure that all their plans and, and their, their raging and their, their efforts will come to nothing? And then he answers that question. He says, well, it's very simple. The rulers of the world, the kings of the world, the nations of the world have set themselves against Yahweh, against the Lord, against his anointed king. And if you do that, as Psalm 1 has taught us already, you will go down a path that perishes. So why are you raging? Why are you fighting? Why are you making all these plans that will really come to nothing and set yourself against God? It said that they would throw off any restraint, any form of, of discipline or any of the precepts of the Lord they will just completely throw off. And it boggles my brain to think that this was written just over a thousand years ago, but today, a thousand years later, the story is exactly the same. The world is in a mess. The world is full of raging, vainful schemes and plans that just doesn't lead to anything. The world is full of the rhetoric of saying, God, I'm going to throw off any form of direction that you want to put on my life. Quite strong words that the psalmist uses here. He says they set themselves against and they take counsel together. They say we will do what we please. In our own kingdoms, in the kingdoms that we live in, whatever Yahweh wants, we're not quite interested. We will come together and decide what our plans and our vision and our futures will be. But you know what? It doesn't only take place in nations and with presidents and rulers and kings. It takes place in our own hearts, in the own kingdoms that we build for ourselves, where we sometimes say, God, no thank you, Yahweh. And we make our plans and they fail and they do come to nothing. I wonder if you've noticed how the nations of the world where they really do throw off any form of constraint from the Lord, how dark and evil it gets. Just the past couple of years, just the year 2020, has just showed us when 
people turn their back on the Lord, it never ends well. Well, thinking about Jesus and the world, one has to ask the question, well, if that's the state of the world, how do, how do God see it and how does he respond? So the psalmist then take us this, is, this is the state of the world, but let's look at what God says about these things and think about these things. Charles Spurgeon, in his book, um, The Treasury of the Psalms, invites us to, to see how God sees. And this is what he says, and he wrote this, Let us now turn our eyes from the wicked to the secret place of the majesty of the Most High. And then he says this, Mark the quiet dignity of the Omnipotent One. He has not taken the trouble to rise up and do battle with them. See, the scripture says the one who sits in heaven laughs. He has not made any effort to prove himself to the nations, to try and sort them out or to go into battle with them. The omnipotent one, the almighty one, the perfect one, God, Yahweh, sits completely confident and absolutely sure of himself and his purposes when the nations rage. You see, he knows that his ways, his decrees, his promises, his plans will come into fruition. And he is so sure of it that no raging nation can change it or can change his mind. There's absolutely no anxiety in the image of what God does in these moments. In fact, he laughs. <laughs> Laughing implying two things here. First of all, he laughs joyfully, happily, because he's just so sure of what will take place and he knows who's coming and what that person or that individual or that king will bring. But it also says he laughs at them with derision. He looks at them and he says, you guys just have no clue. In fact, it actually means that he scoffs at, God, uh, at them. Doesn't this remind us of Psalm 1 where people were scoffing against God and this time around the psalmist says, wait, but where God is in heaven and he sees those he scoffs at them. He sits and he laughs at all their plans and their vain ideas. But then God does something. The psalmist says that when he speaks, <laughs> they will tremble. There will be terror upon them. See, God is sitting on his throne, which means he's ruling, he's reigning, he's sovereign over everything but when he speaks, oh boy, these nations will be in terror because the voice of the Lord is like the sound of many waters. And when he speaks, his plans and his purposes and his way, no raging nation. And even if they come together and take counsel together against God can stand. And all of a sudden, our confidence grows as the sons of the Lord. Our confidence grows knowing that how God has spoken out against these nations. And we can be planted in his words. We can be planted in the word. So we should not fear the world because when Jesus looks at the world, he knows the end and where it's all heading and what he has brought. His voice has decreed. God in heaven's voice has decreed. A king will come and he will be my son. And he, Jesus, will as an inheritance have all the nations 
to himself. No man can claim the inheritance of the nations. No people's group or ethnicity or king or ruler can, can claim that for himself. It only belongs to my king, my son, the anointed one. Only to him. I cannot help but quickly connect it when Jesus was in the wilderness tested by the devil, by Satan himself, when the enemy said, hey, I'll give you all the nations and all the kingdoms of the world. <laughs> I can imagine Jesus thinking about his father in heaven for a moment, laughing at such a futile attempt to tempt his son because Jesus knew his inheritance was all of that will become his as he goes through death and the victory of resurrection in the cross. And therefore, the psalmist concludes how God responds to the nations by saying that this son, this king, this anointed one will rule over them and he will be strong and they will be like clay pots, fragile. And if he speaks, they will shatter. Yet, it doesn't have to be so for the nations. It doesn't have to be so for the kings and rulers. And towards the end of the psalm, we see an invitation to them. But now I want to turn it away from Jesus and the world and turn it to Jesus and you. Because the invitation not only is for the world and the nations and the kings and rulers, it is for every single one of us and every one of our hearts. Let's read again the last few verses of the psalm. It says, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in your way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So how about Jesus and you looking at the words of this psalm? He invites us towards this king. The psalmist writes in a way that says, Here's a way that you can get close to this king, the son of Yahweh, the anointed one. And I'm going to show you the way there. And there's four things. He says, serve Yahweh with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the son and take refuge in him. Four verbs on our behalf to get into this invitation. The first one is serve him with fear. Doesn't the Bible also teach that fear is the beginning of wisdom? So if we want to be wise and accepting this invitation from Psalm 2, it starts with the fear of the Lord. And through the Old and the New Testament, the fear of the Lord is a theme that exists the whole story through. Even in Revelation, when John, who was the closest to Jesus on earth, saw Jesus in heaven, he fell down as one who was dead, fearing the Lord. Sometimes we think that fear and love are two separate concepts that we find hard to reconcile. But here the psalmist says they coexist in one person, in God, in Yahweh. Because he's about to invite you into that love. But our hearts have to revere him. Our hearts have to be a little bit afraid of him, the Bible says. Because he is a consuming fire. And sometimes we think these two things can't be together. But I want to submit to us today that they actually do exist together. And the mere fact that we fear God makes the gospel so much more beautiful because he who is fearful is the one who says, but I want you to come close. And it's because of that that the psalmist writes this, 
rejoice with trembling. Celebrate, worship, praise Him, be full of life, full of, full of the fullness of God, joyfully with trembling. The psalmist had a revelation of this, that I can fear the Lord, the consuming fire, and because of the life I have in Jesus, I will walk out a salvation and a sanctification that will honor Him because of the honor of God and His perfection. But at the same time, I'll do it joyfully because Jesus has invited me there. Fear does not rob us of joy. It drives us to Christ. And unlike the nations who see the terror of the Lord and, 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 and continue to plot against Him, we get the opportunity to say, Well, Lord, you've breached this gap between God and heaven and the raging nations through your Son. <laughs> I'm joyfully going to accept this. I'm going to come closer because you invite me to that. In His presence is fullness of joy. And then probably the most incredible, beautiful invitation in the psalm is the words, kiss the sun. What that means to us today is embrace Jesus. Embrace Him with affection. Come near with a heart that loves Him and adores Him and wants to know Him. Come close. Come really close. And don't come close like the world with the kiss of Judah but come close with a kiss of adoration, joy, rejoicing, and come close with a kiss of submission, reverence, and fear. The Bible says that if we draw near to God, He will draw near to us. And because of Jesus in between the nations and Yahweh in heaven, we can come close to the Son and embrace Him and welcome Him into our lives and then we are set on a new path and he bridges the gap between the nations and God in heaven. And he says, just embrace me, accept me, love me, come into a love relationship with me because there you will find everything you need. And then this is absolutely amazing. How does the second psalm end? Just like the first psalm started with the word blessed. <laughs> blessed are all who take refuge in Him. We read just now that it says, kings and rulers, be wise and come close to Jesus. So although the previous parts of the psalm clearly shows that the Jesus and God is against the nations and all their plans, He gives even them an invitation to, climb, to come close. Blessed are all, Every single one who takes refuge in the Son, who embraces Him, who comes close with affection and says, this is how I want to build my life. Blessed, truly happy is every single one. The nations, the rulers, the kings, the people, me and you, when we make Jesus our refuge. And again, the gospel is beautifully clear in our second psalm today. That because of Jesus, the Son, and us embracing Him, we can rejoice even though God is so holy and perfect. He says, come close. I'm making a way for you. Come and take refuge in me. And because of the finished work of the cross, we are washed pure as white as snow. And we can come into His throne room of grace and there receive mercy and be with Him. The invitation is beautiful again. 
to live a blessed, truly happy life. And it comes to those who find their refuge in Jesus, who doesn't find it in raging nations, who doesn't find it in lesser kings, who doesn't find it in other rulers, and who doesn't find it in the kingdom we build for ourselves. So today I want to conclude by saying, let's take the magnifying glass to our own hearts for a moment. Let's investigate our own hearts and, and see the story of, of King David pointing to Christ, but the real essence of this magnifying glass is Christ. And let him look at our hearts for a moment and ask the question, how are we living? Are we living like the nations who's throwing off the constraints, the precepts, the ways of God, heading down the way of perishing? Or if we look at our hearts, do we see those who say, Lord, I want to serve you. I want to serve you with fear and awe and reverence and respect, understanding that you are God in heaven. But I want to do so joyfully because your son has made a way. And because he has made a way, I will embrace him. I will come close to him. I will submit to him and I will embrace him with my affections. And then I will be truly blessed and walk happily in the ways that you have for me. And Lord, this invitation today is not just for me to hold this to my own heart, but you are empowering me to take this magnifying glass into the world and hold it at every heart because the invitation is that blessed are all who take refuge in him. And that is, my friends, the message of Psalm 2 for us today. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would see the invitation. Lord, when we look at the situation around us and, and how the world is and how it relates towards you with such hatred and despise, it doesn't look great, Lord. But not only have we seen the situation, we're hearing the invitation. That that situation in our own lives and the lives of our families and the people around us and our community and Lord, even our own nation can change. If we come close to you, Jesus, the Son, the King, the Anointed One, that Lord Yahweh you have sent into this world so that he can rule in the kingdom of our hearts and take hold of us. And just like the first psalm, Lord, we want to investigate our hearts, Lord, and say we want to walk in the blessed way. Thank you for this invitation again. And thank you, Jesus, that because you have been set on the holy hill of Calvary, on the holy hill of Golgotha, where you have conquered death, we can come close today and come close to you, come close to our Father. Thank you for these words, Lord, and I pray that every single one of us this week would find you, Jesus, that you would magnify our worlds and would magnify our hearts and see how we live in it in relation to you and that we would come closer to you and ultimately that our hearts would come so close that we say we want to kiss the sun. We want to be closely, intimately, affectionately relating to you, Jesus. And we ask that in the name above every name. Amen. Well, family, be blessed this week. Please join in with your small group and continue to study this psalm. And we'll send another one this week. And on Friday, we'll send you another encouragement from the psalms. And, 
And let, let this be your final encouragement. Don't just listen to this message, but read the Psalm three, four, five times again and say, Jesus, magnify what's in me and let you be magnified in my life. And I bless you with that.